you to Pastor Patrick Crowder, who shared the word last week. Uh, I love Patrick and his wife, Mindy, their daughter, daughter, Destiny, and I'm so glad that you found a church home right here at Thrive. We were like, Megan and I were like, yes, we get you. So, uh, but thank you for bringing that word. Patrick and I connect on a regular basis, and everything that we've been talking about in regards to the soul and caring for the soul, that, that's like Pat and Mindy's world. They live in that world, and uh, I'm going to volunteer you guys. If you want to have a conversation with someone and go a little deeper, they're a good couple to connect with uh, and ask some of those questions, because they hardly have anything going on at all, right? <laughs> No, so thank you so much. Um, I got to listen to the message this week and was so encouraged. Well, we've got a couple more weeks. I'd said in this series that wasn't quite sure how far out we were going to go, uh, but we've got two more Sundays. We've, there's an ending point now. And so uh, on September 29th will be our last in this series on the prosperous soul. By the way, the first Sunday in October, we have a baptism Sunday. Keep, just kind of make a mental note of that. We're going to be talking about that more coming up. We've been talking about the soul, which is the most important part of who you are. Whether you knew it or not, it is the most important part of who you are. And what we're discovering in in research and study within psychology, within the church, within theology, is that there is this part of you that cannot and must not be ignored. If you want to have a thriving life, if you want to prosper that you have to address and care for your soul. And so we've been talking about over these, these last few weeks the, the care and the needs of the soul and paying careful attention to, to that part of who you are. By the, by the way, the sermon notes for this morning and all the verses I'll be sharing today are on the app. You can, you can look under notes for that and keep track of, of those verses. This, this important part of who you are, your soul, is what ties your life together. In, in, the, in the fields that deal with psychology and mental and emotional health, uh, we call this integration. The ability for your life to be integrated, your emotions, your, your intellect, your thinking, your relationships, your, even your physical body needs to be tied together. Your past, your present, all of these things come together and they need to be integrated. Otherwise, we live fractured lives and that's not healthy. And so we have to pay attention to the soul. This morning, I want to talk about the fact that the soul needs to be valued. The soul needs to be valued. Our district supervisor, Fernando Castillo, has been introducing our district leadership team and some of the pastors in our district uh, to a series of teaching by a lady named Beth Baroni. And uh, in every session that we go to, uh, I know for Megan and I, we just get wrecked in a good way. And, and this lady has just tapped into some things in, in regards to uh, the, the, the health of the whole person. That's pretty phenomenal. Her story, her testimony is, is powerful. And I, I just want to kind of upfront say that, that some of what I'm sharing this morning is, has been kind of gleaned from what I've been learning for, from her and, and from our district supervisor. Because he, here's the truth, is that Pastors are not perfect. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> Don't head for the door right now. We're in process just like you. In fact, the pastor that, or the leader in the church that would say, I've got it all together, that's the one that you want to avoid. 
So God is in the midst of doing something in my life and in Megan's life and in our marriage and our family, and we're this work in progress. And so we're just getting to kind of pass on to you and share with you what God is doing in our lives. And, we, and I know this. I, I don't even guess. I know this because I get to talk with some of you that God's doing the same thing in each of us. And so what we're learning and what we're growing in as a, as a body is happening not just here but, but beyond these four walls. So your soul needs to be valued. A couple of weeks ago, I'd spoken and I'd shared about remembering a couple of points. I'd said that you need to remember that you're loved because we forget that. You need to remember that you're loved. You need to remember that you are a child of God. And then I'd finished with this last point. You need to remember that you have value. You have value. And I, I don't want to just pass over that and keep moving. I think we need to stop there this morning and unpack what that means. Because you might be wondering, well, what, why do I have value? And where does that value come? And can I lose that value, right? If we, we buy things in the store, right? You buy a brand new car and you drive it off the lot. What do they say, right? It depreciates. You lose money the second you drive it. Isn't that a happy thought? What a bummer if I used. And even that, every time you buy a car, it's losing value. And we start thinking in those terms when it comes to our lives. Uh, When I was young, when I was in high school, uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, passed away. And uh, it was a really difficult time for our family. Uh, She had had a, a long battle with cancer, and she was 55 years old. Uh, when she went to be with Jesus, um, she loved the Lord with all of her heart. She was an amazing, amazing woman. After the funeral, I was sitting with my grandfather, and I'm the oldest of the cousins on my mom's side of the family, and he pulled me aside, and he says, hey, I want to give you something. And so he gave me uh, this ring. You can't see it real well, so I have a picture of it. This is uh, Granny Ben's wedding ring. Um, and he says, I want you to have this as the oldest grandson. This is for you. Man, I did not anticipate the emotion. Again, I can, like, prepare all my notes. I can't prepare my emotions. Um, and so for years, I had this ring. And, uh, well, my mom had it because she didn't trust me with it. But (laughs) (laughs) I had this ring, and then I met Megan. And I proposed to Megan, and I went down to the jewelry district in L.A., and we had a, a custom ring made and, and, uh, and proposed to her, and uh, we have matching wedding bands. But on our wedding day, I gave this ring to my wife. I passed it on to her, and, uh, and so she's letting me use it this morning. Thanks, babe. Um, I'm also wearing it on my finger because I do not want to lose it. <laughs> Let me ask you something. What's this ring worth? What's its value? I could take it to an appraiser, and the appraiser would weigh it and determine the value, the market value of the gold, and would look at the diamond. You can tell that the the diamond in this particular ring, because my grandparents were not wealthy people uh, at all. In fact, they were, uh, my grandfather was career military. They had five children, and most months, months just getting by was tough. You know, and, and grew up in a time where there wasn't a lot of money. So 
the, the diamond's kind of on the small side, so it's not worth a lot of money. But what's it really worth? It's worth so much more than a dollar sign. It's so, so, worth so much more than an appraiser would say. And, and honestly, it's worth more to me than it is to you. Because there's a story attached to it. There's life attached to it. There's meaning attached to it. Let me put it, put it this way. If your child was kidnapped and the kidnappers asked for a ransom, what would you be willing to pay to get your child back? Right? We all understand if you're healthy and normal, there's no amount too high. Some of you might be thinking, well, at a certain point, no. <laughs> right? Which is why people get kidnapped. Is, is kidnappers realize that family is important, that there's no value that you can place on a life. And so if, if one of my child, one of my child, one of my children were taken, there's nothing I wouldn't do to get them back. Because they have immeasurable value and worth in my life. See, here's the thing. Value is not determined by what you can sell something for. Value is determined by what you would give or what you would sacrifice, what you would pay for something. See, because to you, something might not have value, but to me, it has infinite value, immeasurable value. We have to, as we have a conversation about the soul needing to be valued, come at, come at this conversation with that perspective. When you think about your life and the value of your life, you have to think about the fact that you have immeasurable worth, not determined by you or even the people around you, and definitely not determined by the world that we live in. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away, sold everything, and he bought it. Jesus here unpacking for us a glimpse of what his kingdom is like. Jesus stepping into a world out of, out of eternity, out of heaven, out of, out of being in the presence of the Father and into this world as a baby. And now he's grown into a man and he's teaching his disciples and those that would listen. And he's reframing for them what's of value. And he's saying this, the kingdom of heaven is incredibly valuable. So much so, much so that it's like someone who would find something precious and then go sell everything they have to obtain that item. I need to pause here for a second because we don't think kingdom a lot. We think this world, this life, this reality. And so things in this world, in this life, in this reality have a shelf life. So if we look around this room today, let me ask you this. What is eternal? What in this room is eternal? Your soul is eternal and your relationships are eternal. That's it. 
Your soul is eternal and your relationships are eternal. Nothing else goes to heaven. Nothing else fits into the eternal kingdom of God. That's it. And so when we think about what is of value in God's kingdom, it comes down to this. You are valuable and the relationships you have are valuable. So, so reframe this verse then is this, that you and your relationships are so valuable, it's like a person who would find a treasure and then go and give everything they had to make sure that that treasure was preserved. So what kind of value do you have and what kind of value do your relationships have? What are you willing to give to make sure that the eternal part of who you are is preserved? Value, when we understand it, brings dignity to our lives. It adds an aspect of our lives. It gives us a a part of who we are that would allow us to hold up our heads Lift them high and not, you know, you, you see people going through life just downcast, lacking dignity. I remember when we visited Kenya for the first time, Gary and Brenda Keene, our missionaries there, introduced us to Mum Sarah. Mum Sarah has the most amazing testimony. Lived in, born and raised in Uganda. Her mom died when she was young and her stepmom hated her as a baby. How do you hate a baby? But her stepmom took her and threw her into an ash pit where they had the fire in the village, threw her into that ash pit and covered over the top of that fire pit. And were it not for one of the elders in the community, this man that saw this all happening, who then went over and then rescued this child out of that ash, she would have died in that place. She ended up getting married and she was abused Her husband took her and her baby and drove to Nairobi, Kenya, got to Nairobi, opened the door of the car, pushed her and the baby out, closed the door and drove away, never to be seen again. Surviving in the streets of Marui slum, in Kibera slum in Nairobi, doing everything she could to survive, feeling less and less valued, lacking dignity, the poorest of the poor, ready to take her own life, had bought rat poison to kill herself and her baby girl because she thought death must certainly be better than what I'm living through. And it was at that point that she had met Brenda Keene's mom who invited her into her home and started treating her like a human being, gave her the first hug she had ever had in her life. Mom Sarah now leads Jacaranda Creations in the Jacaranda ministry. She gets to love on over a hundred women who are walking through the same circumstances she did. And when you see her, she lights up a room. She's this tiny lady who lights up a room with her presence, who holds her head up high because she has rediscovered her value and her dignity. We are surrounded by people and even many of us in this room going through life not feeling like we are worth anything, feeling like our dignity has been taken from us. And and, and the reality is we just want to get by. Quite often the goal is this, I just want it to make it hurt less. If I can just make it hurt less. Can I tell you this morning, you are valued. You are of immeasurable value 
to God. And I believe this morning, as Robert said, he wants to do something special today. I believe that in some, in some ways today is not a usual regular Sunday. I believe that God is going to meet some of you today in such a way that you're going to walk out of this room a changed person. Not because of any, anything special that I say or do, but because you have an encounter with God today that restores something that the enemy has stolen. So let's pray to that. And Father God, I pray this morning that the lies of the enemy would be undone in our lives. And God, that you would cause us to see that the, the value that's already in us because of who you are. And I pray, Lord God, for healing to flow in this place. Holy Spirit, move in power in lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My first point this morning is this, your value is God-given. Your value is God-given. This is the most important point. I would say it's the only point, but I, I have more. Um, your value is God-given. See, here's the thing. God's word says that you're valuable, and we're going to read some passages to back that up here in a second. But, but if God comes to you and says to you, hey, put your name here, you are valuable to me. And someone in this world says, hey, you're a loser, you have no value. Who are you going to believe? Right? We know the answer is God. Who should you believe? God. If only it were that easy. If only it were that easy. We can on, a, on an intellectual level go, yeah, God outweighs every other voice. And he does. But we've got to muddle through some stuff to get there. But it's a good starting point. If God says something about you and someone else says something else, I'm going to believe God. And if, if you don't go, if you walk out of here with, with nothing else, remember that. What does God say about me? During our prayer time this morning at 930, uh, we took a minute just to ask God how he felt about us. Do you ever do that? I want to encourage you. Do you ever stop during your day and actually ask God to speak to you? I think about God a lot, and I talk about God a lot to other people, and I even talk to God, but sometimes I find that I don't actually stop and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And then shut up long enough for him to actually say something. So I said, hey, let's just go around the circle. Just take 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and ask God, how do you feel about me today? What do you want to say to me today? So it took 30 seconds, we were quiet, and then I said, okay, just one word answers, just start saying what you heard. And there were probably, I don't know, 25, 30 things that were said, from little ones, kids, to adults. And here's what I love, that not one of the words that was shared was a condemnation, or a rebuke, or a correction, they were all loving and life-giving. God wants to declare things over you. He wants to speak to your value. And so the very starting point is, this, is to know this, that your value is from God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says this. You see Paul writing here to the Roman church. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. When? When I was worthy of his life? No, because that day would never happen. That moment would never come. While I was still a sinner, while you were still a sinner, that Jesus paid it all. What was God willing to give for your life? Gave his son. He gave his son. How much are you worth? You are worth the God of heaven stepping down into this world, living his life as a mere man and going to the cross and suffering a brutal death. That is what you are worth. Your value is God given and nothing in this world can stand in the way of that. It doesn't change. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals, and all, over all the creation, uh, creatures that move along the ground. So listen to this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You are made in the image of God. So, so Jesus died for you, so we know you're valuable. But not only that, the Bible says that you are created in the image of God, which also means that you're valuable. Because if you reflect God, you think you have value? Nothing else in all of creation is created in the image of God. Nothing. The, the, the creation reflects his glory, but nothing else bears his image except for you and me. And because of that, you have value. Because God don't make no junk. Right? God's not going to say, hey, I'm going to make something in my image and then make something that's garbage. If it's in his image, if we're created and fashioned in his image, it means we have value. In fact, Jesus came to restore that value. What God created in the garden, what he instilled in us in the garden was robbed because of sin and disobedience and shame. And Jesus restored that at the cross and in the empty grave. See, because the lie of the enemy to Eve and continuing from that point till now is this, you are not valuable. You are not worthy, you are lacking, you are broken, and you need to do something to fix it. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing. That Jesus paid it all. That Jesus determines what that value is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Anyone love gifts? Anyone love getting a gift? This whole side of the room doesn't like getting gifts. <laughs> All right. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. <laughs> I'm more saved than you are. No, you're not. Stop it. 
For we are God's masterpiece. Say masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is the word poema. You are his beautiful song. That's how he feels about you. Years ago, I got to go to France and visit the Louvre. The Louvre, right? It's the museum where the Mona Lisa hangs. Probably one of the most famous paintings in the world. Painted by? Thank you, I couldn't remember. Um, No. (laughs) Painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And and, and it's, honestly, it's a disappointment. Because you get there, and we always see the picture of the Mona Lisa as kind of like this big. You get there, and it's like, it's this big. Up on this wall, and then there's like a million people. So you might as well look at a postage stamp. And the reality is, it's not that great of a painting. <laughs> we, uh, we had to go to Pasadena to an art museum with our kids uh, a couple of years ago. And we walked around this museum. And, and for some of it, like, I was like, oh, this, this is incredible. And then we got to a part of the museum where I'm like, Really? Like, this is, this is, right? This is good. Like, some of the Van Goghs, you're like, yeah, okay. What, what adds the value is the painter, right? Or a painting gets sold for a certain amount. All of a sudden, it's worth a lot more because someone was willing to pay for it. And it drives up. Here's this little painting, not much to look at. Really not much to look at. But it has this worth. Why? Because it's considered a masterpiece. Because of who painted it. The painting is not a masterpiece because it declared itself a masterpiece. Right? The lips of Mona Lisa didn't go, I'm a masterpiece. But because of who painted it, and over the years that this painting has been deemed a masterpiece, and now it it has this value reflected in the amount of security that is around it. How much more when God says, you are his masterpiece. The, the, the God who created Leonardo da Vinci, I almost said DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> that too. The God who created Leonardo da Vinci created you. He says, you are his masterpiece Created in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you reflect his image. You bear his likeness. To do the things he had for you to do. Your value is God given. Second thing is this. Your value isn't tied to performance. Your value is not tied to performance. I believe at this point is where the things derail for believers. I believe that the, this lie is one of the greatest lies perpetrated upon the church today. That your value is tied to what you do. Baloney. Because that's, we're just going to leave it at that. It's garbage. Your performance has nothing to do with your value. Because God gives your value, which means that nothing in this world, including you, 
cannot devalue what God has said is valuable. One of the challenges is that we live in a hyperinflated culture. Everything is bigger, and not just in Texas anymore, right? Everything is bigger. In, in, in the world of sports, check this out. Clayton Kershaw, Dodgers fans, signed a seven-year, $215 million contract to play with a little ball on a green field. Come on, let's be, let's be honest. That means that he gets $186,129.37 per game. That's nuts. One of the highest paid players in baseball. There's some guy named Pujols, I think. Is that, am I saying that right? He gets paid a little bit more, but I, I, I'm catering to my Dodger fans this morning. So sorry, Angels fans. By the way, I think the number one, play, uh, number one paid athlete in the world is a soccer player because, believe it or not, in the rest of the world, more than just children play soccer. Um, in entertainment, do you know who the highest paid actor was last year? Any guesses? Anyone? Huh? Brad Pitt? A good guess, but no. Tom Cruise? Good. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Highest paid actor in Hollywood in 2017, not counting like, uh, like some other actor like sold, he has like a, a line of perfume or something. I'm like, okay, whatever. But just for acting, just for acting, $124 million in 2017. And here's the reality. He's not that good of an actor. <laughs> right? He's not that good. He's buff. He's, just, he's huge. And, right? His muscles have muscles. But he's not that great of an actor. Beyonce, highest paid singer in 2017, $105 million. And the list goes on. There's people on YouTube who make hundreds of thousands of dollars for posting silly videos. We have things like American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent, which, no, not really. <laughs> right? Because, because what it's doing, is, it's the culture feeding the lie is that your value is tied to what you do. And so if you're really good at something, you're talented or you're attractive or you're athletic or you're smart or you know the right people, you are thereby more valuable than the other people around you. And, and by the way, we, we define value as how much money you get. God never, ever, 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 anywhere in the word of God does it say that your value is tied to how much money you have. In fact, he says, Jesus turns it upside down and he says, your, your, your value in the kingdom of God is really seen when you give it all away. And we're like, oh, man, <laughs> really? Well, I like everything about the kingdom of God except for that. Yet in Acts chapter 2, it says that they had everything in common and sold everything they had and gave to everyone as they had need. So it feeds into this lie that your value is tied to what you do. It's not. It's not. See, because the result of this of that is this, if I could just do more, try harder, 
make an impression, discipline myself more, or be in the right place at the right time, i.e. I, I get lucky, then my value will somehow increase. It's not how it works. Because as that happens, by the way, that comes into the church. We look around the church and go, well, that person is more valuable than that person because they have it more together. Oh, because that person can sing and play the guitar, right? And can tap their foot on the, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Right? In a lot of churches, this is what it looks like. That person is more valuable because they make more money and their tithe check is bigger. If that is not the opposite of the kingdom of God, I don't know what is. Jesus says, let the kids come to me. Hey, I'm going to go hang out with the poor and the broken and the oppressed. But that thinking makes its way into the church. And then what discipleship starts looking like in the body of Christ is this. I just need to get my act together so that the church will accept me or I can be closer to the pastor than the next guy or the next gal so that people will think I'm really important and thereby valuable. And in the midst of that whole process, you know what's happening to your soul? It's withering and dying. How is it that someone can go to church for 25, 30 years and at the end of that time be no closer to Jesus than they were when they started? Well, the church didn't have enough programs. No. There's not enough programs in the world that will tell you how valuable you are. You've got to figure that out with Jesus. And when, you, when that clicks for you, nothing will take it away. Nothing will take it away. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. I'm going to work out this morning. Now to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The one, say it with me, who does not work. Let's do it again. Who does not work. Okay, you heard it here today in church. Stop working so hard. Stop working so hard to try and please God and earn some kind of value. You are valuable. End of story. End of story. The one who works, right? If you go and work for a day, someone owes you. They're supposed to pay you a wage. It's an obligation, Can I just tell you right now, God doesn't owe you anything. Never has, never will. You're not that good. You you just can't be. Not, Not because of lack of trying. You just can't. He's God, you're not. So so he has to change the whole equation and he says, listen, stop trying to work for it because you can't. Don't work, trust. Don't work, trust. Put your faith in God and trust what he says about who you are and learn to lean on him. That means when the world says, hey, you're this, I go back and go, wait, God, what do you say? Oh, but but I feel this way. No, wait, I go back, what does God say? 
And I learn to lean into him and lean on him and, and lean away from the things of this world that can prop us up, but can, can be gone in a minute. And I press into God. And as I trust God, what does he do? He justifies me. He says he justifies the ungodly because that's what you were in your sin. You stopped looking like Jesus. Your image was tainted and, and, and tarnished. He says, but as you trust me, I restore that. I justify you. I bring you back to your original design, your original intent. I restore the value that is there. In fact, what it is, is it's not the value went anywhere. It just got covered up. And he says, I'm going to strip those things away so that who you really are can emerge and shine through. See, works does not lead to faith. Biggest lie in the church. If you do more, you have bigger faith. It has never been that way. Faith leads to works, right? Because where people get hung up is like, well, well, faith without works is dead. What does that mean? It means that once you understand who you are in God and where your value is derived from, you can't wait to take that and, and share it with other people and to be a blessing to other people. But you don't do it to earn God's favor and his merit. You cannot be more valuable to God than you are right now. That means nothing you do. Okay, listen to me in this. Even the sin, even when you mess up, that thing you did this week, that thing you did yesterday, that argument you had, that thought that you had, didn't decrease your value at all. I know people come in here on Sunday like, okay, I just, I just need a little, like they say, dose of the ghost, right? I need a little, just, just to kind of, to make me feel better about myself. God, God is not in the business of making you feel better about yourself. He's about reminding you of your value that was there all along. So nothing you can do ever, that's why Paul says, nothing in all of creation will ever separate you from the love that, of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Romans eleven five through 6. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by, by God. He was talking, by the way, Paul's writing here about uh, Elijah, who's having a bad day. And he gets to this point after he confronts the prophets of Baal, where he's like, oh God, I'm the only one. I'm all alone. There's no one else. And God's like, no, no, stop. There are others. There's others. So hold your horses, calm down. He says at this present time, there's a remnant, just like there was a remnant with Elijah. There is a remnant chosen by grace, not by merit, but by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. It cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So, so Paul is trying to drive home the point here from the heart of God to us that if, if, it, if the work starts slipping in, if performance starts slipping in, then grace has no place in your life. Mercy has no place in your life because what you're saying is I can do this on my own. And the very thing that's supposed to get us closer to God actually separates us from God. And that's the lie of the enemy. That's all he wants to do. That is his biggest goal. 
Let me just get you separated from relationship with God. Why? Because a relationship is eternal. Remember that too. When it comes to works, we usually are working to do stuff. You find this a lot, especially in the church. If I have a works-based mentality, I'm going to be doing... I'm going to be more about doing stuff than I am about loving people. I'm going to be more focused on doing stuff because it makes me look good than I am loving people. And what's eternal? Your soul and relationships. It's the antithesis of what God is looking for in his people. It cannot, it cannot be based on works. Romans 9, 30, 32. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the laws, the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. And they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. That God gave them the law not so that they could just be busy. He gave the law to the Jewish people, to Israel, so that they would be close to God, so that they would be in relationship with God. And what ended up happening is that they got so focused on the law and just jotting, you know, ticking the boxes or checking the boxes that they actually forgot there was a God they're supposed to connect with. And God says, you, I gave this to you so you can be connected with me. And you've become a worshiper of the law and not a worshiper of me. Because you thought you could do it in your own strength. That God wants us to move away from a works mentality. Can I just say, I'm going to say a couple of things that I want you to hear my heart. Read your Bible every day. When used in the context, if you work hard enough at it, you'll somehow get close to God doesn't work it's not a magic pill it's a love letter and so should you read your bible absolutely should you know the word of god and hide the word of god in your heart absolutely but if your approach to reading the word and to prayer and to spiritual disciplines is if i if i just do this Right? If I do it seven days in a row, maybe I'll feel closer to God. You, you probably won't. But if you enjoy the word and savor the word and spend time in his presence and ask God to speak to you about how he feels about who you are, oh, that's a different story. But do you see how subtle it is as it works into the body? It's not about works. It cannot be about works. And the last point this morning is this. Your value allows you to love. Your value allows you to love. When we understand that our value is God-given and that we can't earn it, what it frees me up to do then is to love other people well. And if there's anything that I see that's broken in the church today, big church, is we show up we sing songs and we go through the motions, but we don't love well. I mean, really love well. When you understand who you are in Christ, 
that God values you no matter what, and there's nothing that you can do to ever to earn that value and earn that love, it's like a breath of fresh air that frees you up then just to treat people the same way. Because if you know that you're valued, you see everyone else is valued as well. It allows us to value and love people. When I was, well, I would say when I was younger, my whole life, because I was younger yesterday, right, technically, I struggled with this. I struggled with being excluded. People, if I knew there was a party and I didn't get invited, oh, man, my mind went wild. And I just filled in all of the blanks and all of the reasons why they didn't value me, why they didn't like me. I'm thinking about what did I do, what did I say. I'm replaying conversations in my head. I'm aching. I'm frustrated. Then I get angry at them. I don't need you anyway, right? Whatever I can do to make myself feel better. And it's led to all kinds of issues in my life. It's spilled over, and that's just one thing. I needed to be included because I felt like when I was included that, that there was some kind of value given to me. Now, now, here's the truth. If we treat people as valuable, we will be inclusive of them. But to be included as being the measure of how valuable I am gets really warped and twisted in our thinking. Really warped and twisted. And we, that's when we get back into what Patrick was talking about, about shame, Right? Because now I feel bad about it, and now I'm carrying shame about something that's actually just in my head that might not actually be reality. But I, I, I fed that so much in my life, and so much of my, my value was derived from other people that as I moved into adulthood, it was hard to stop. And can I tell you just a moment of brutal honesty, when you're struggling with that, being a pastor is probably one of the worst things you can do. Yet here I am. And I'm figuring out that my value is not tied to things like how many people show up on a Sunday morning. It's not, value, it's not tied to how much money there is in, in the tithes and offering basket. Because for, for a long time it was, and for a lot of pastors it is. It's not tied to, well, that person is not growing in their faith, so I must not be doing a good job as a pastor. But we can apply this to our marriages, to our families, to our parenting, to our community. And it can mess us up big time. See, now there was something wrong. It didn't detract from my value. But there was some brokenness in my life that did and still needs healing. I'm still in process. But God's heart is to say, I want to heal that part of you. Not to add value to remind you of the fact that you are valued. Because it becomes a, a cloud, it becomes a, a shield, a barrier to me being able to walk in the value. And then I can't walk out and do the good things that God has intended for me, as Paul says in Ephesians. I am his masterpiece, created in Christ to do the things that he planned. It says in another translation, to do the good works he intended for me. There, I have a job to do. You have a job to do. But when we allow the world and, and, and outside things to determine our value, we no longer can do the job that he's calling us to do because we're so busy trying to add value to our lives. See, Satan has twisted and distorted our value. 
And he speaks over our lives that, that, that these lies that you're worthless, that you're not good enough, that you don't fit in, that you don't, ha- don't have what it takes, that people don't like you. And all of the, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and, and your soul's need to be valued is at odds. It's in opposition with those lies. And every time we hear those lies, there's a part of us that wants to believe us. And then there's a deep-seated part of us that knows that it's a lie. But sometimes believing the lie is a little easier. The road seems a little more appealing. And so we have to find ways to try and increase our value. So what happens is we compare. It's the easiest way. If I want to feel more valuable, I compare myself to someone who I deem as less valuable. What Jesus said to the Pharisees and to the, right, the prayer, oh God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as that guy right there. (laughs) I'm not pointing at Jock. And Jesus addresses that. He goes, that is not kingdom. And God doesn't hear that prayer because that's messed up. But we do that all the time. If I want to feel better about myself, I just think about that person who I have deemed to be less valuable than me. And now I'm like, <laughs> I'm better. Not really. <laughs> and so we lie. We believe the lie. Or even worse, we lie to ourselves. The next easiest thing to do is to actually devalue someone with our words and our actions. And, and, and can I just tell you, church, this breaks my heart. And my heart is broken over it because I struggle with this. It's so easy to do in that conversation with that friend, and I want to make myself look good. So I, out of my mouth, come words that, that put down a brother and sister. And somehow I feel like I'm better because of it. And we start leveraging the little bit of influence and the little bit of voice that we have to try and prop ourselves up on top of other people by pushing them down. And in the midst of it, your soul withers and God's heart is broken. Because Jesus, at the end of his ministry and at the end of his life, got down on his knees with the disciples and washed their feet. He did the lowest job. He took the lowest posture he could to demonstrate to them what the kingdom of God was about. It's not about me lording it over you and pushing you down to make myself feel better. It's understanding that as I know who I am in Christ, that my heart will, my my desire will be to serve you. Now, can I just say, like, washing feet, like, I know some churches like to do that. This pastor is not going to wash your feet because I think it's just... We don't have context for it, and it's just kind of creepy to me. Jesus did it because they understood this. It was the role of a servant in the house to wash your feet because they wore sandals. By the way, if you go to Israel next next year, you'll see this. They wore sandals everywhere they went, and their feet were dirty. And so when you went into someone's house, there was a servant there whose job it was to wash your feet. So culturally, it was like it was the norm. Like no one was weirded out because someone's touching my feet. But Jesus says, I'm going to do the lowest job in the house to remind you of your value, of your worth, and of the posture you need to take when this clicks for you is not to be served, but to serve. 
See, when, when I use people to make myself more valuable, in the world of currency, we call it this, counterfeit. It looks good, but it has no value or meaning. It has no value. It has no meaning. It's fake. It's cubic zirconia. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, and he loves us because we have value. And because we have value, we are allowed. Listen to me. God allows us then to love others. That the people sitting around you are valuable to him, and he is entrusting them to you to love well. So as you understand that you are valuable and there's nothing that you can do to add to your value, the next thing then is you just get to love people and love them well and add life and meaning. Now, you can't add any intrinsic value to someone, but you can remind them of their value. What a blessing. What an opportunity we have as the body of Christ. By the way, this is not just my job. We are the body of Christ, and we are called to do this for each other, in each other, daily, in our own lives, in our own homes, and going out from there, every opportunity we have. You're valuable. Nothing you do can add to that value. And God is calling you to love others well out of that value that you have. Church, this has to drop into our hearts. The prosperous soul looks like that. And it actually starts there. And so we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand in our own lives. We have to press into who God is to take him at his word. By the way, I included a lot of verses today because I want you to hear, and, and I just, I had to select some of them because there's so many. Go and, go and get online and look up the verses that talk about how valued and loved you are to God and read those verses and press into that and allow God to do a work in you. Can we stand together? Can we just, let's bow our heads. I'd like to give you a moment with the Lord. We could pray at this point and, and be out the door. But, but could you take, let's just take 20 seconds. We're going to do what we did at the beginning of service during our prayer time. Having heard what you just heard, would, would you take 20 seconds and just listen to the voice of God? And listen to what he would speak over. I believe that God wants to speak something over you today. Maybe, maybe this practice of trying to hear his voice is foreign to you. Don't overcomplicate it. If a word pops into your head, that's, that's probably what it is. So let's do that. 15, 20 seconds is starting right now.
Lord, I thank you for every word that has just been declared. Everything that has just been spoken, not from this pastor, but from the very mouth of God to each life, Father God. And I pray that that value would be received and recognized. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do amending work today. I pray that you would undo years of lies and brokenness, Lord, that have driven us to believe that we're less valuable or lack value. The lies that have caused us to want to perform and not just receive. In those places, Lord, where it's spilled out in our relationships and in our brokenness, Lord, into other people. God, I pray today by, by your miraculous hand, by your miraculous power, that you would just do a complete healing in Jesus' name. Draw us close to you. Cause us to be the people that you've called us to be. To reflect your likeness to a world that so desperately needs to know you. I want to ask this morning, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said yes to him and known the value that you have because of his death and resurrection. I don't want to move on this morning without giving you an opportunity to respond. If that's you, without anyone looking around, if that's you, you've never said yes to Jesus, and this morning you'd say, Pastor Barry, I want what you're talking about. I don't have that, and I want it. I need that today. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand? Raise it nice and high so I can see you. No one's looking around. This is between you and the Lord. I just want to agree with you this morning. Anyone this morning who would say, yes, I need Jesus today. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Can we pray this prayer together? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me, that you paid the price for my sin, and that you restored my image into the likeness of God. Thank you, God, for the value that you've given me. And I choose today to live for you, to follow you, to trust you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate together? That is so good. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to close with a chorus. Just as I am, I come, right? It's, it's